0: a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Someplace where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org
1: every Christian denomination is doctrinally oriented. I remember a conversation with a, well, I believe it was a Presbyterian years and years ago who said, well, you know, you guys in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, you kind of the envy of some of us who would like to see our denominations be more doctrinally oriented in terms of their unity, in terms of what it is that makes them what they are because he said, we're just kind of a loose association. You can believe whatever you want to believe congregation to congregation. Well, that's not the case in the Lutheran church, Missouri synod. We take our doctrine very seriously and we take doctrinal differences seriously as well. That's one of the things we're going to be talking about as we go through listener email and the issues that set comment line. In addition to that, bariatric surgery and the Lord's supper and the latter day saints and the respect for marriage act among other things. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll go through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Center, will join us to discuss decision theology a little bit later. Then we'll conclude our series on the opponents of Jesus. This time, not a theological group, but a political group, the Herodians. Dr. Curtis Gesey will be our guest.
0: Let's begin with David in Table Rock, Missouri. Hi Pastor Wilkin. I have a couple questions. How do we as Lutherans deal with differences in doctrinal interpretation within our own synod? Is the academic attitude of broad tolerance towards such things as creation or the atonement to be left to conscience? When would such matters reach the level of being reasons for denying saying a visiting pastor the privilege of preaching or teaching a class? What about what is even taught on podcasts? A good example would be the much-heralded by some teaching of Gerhard Ferdi. Would the Synod deal with its pastors advancing aberrant ideas? Or is this up to the elders of a given congregation? Or is this even enforceable? Thanks
1: for your thoughts, In Christ concludes David in Table Rock, Missouri. Well, it's not an either-or. It is, in fact, the responsibility of a pastor's congregation to hold him accountable for, to the doctrinal standards of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which are Scripture the Lutheran confessions, and then then we have supplemented those, not raising them to the level of a confession, but saying this is the agreed-upon position of the congregations and pastors of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and those documents have been kind of sprinkled throughout 175 years of history for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. So we've always taken our doctrinal unity very seriously, which means that when doctrinal differences arise, we take those seriously as well. So, in the case of, you just say, for instance, the atonement and, and the teachings of Gerhard Ferdi. Gerhard Ferdi, he's dead. He's a, a Lutheran theologian of the more liberal variety. And in the course of his long and storied career, he found fit to, well, essentially deny the atonement, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. He came up with a different theory for what jesus was doing on the cross is essentially jesus on the cross as a big object lesson as kind of a whipping boy and he allows himself to be killed to demonstrate that god had already forgiven the sins of all the world the sacrifice at the cross was not necessary Gerhard ferdy rejects that notion that somehow christ's death or his shedding of blood in any way paid for sins or appeased the wrath of god he rejects it entirely so he has stepped outside of Orthodox Christianity in denying the atonement. And we would take that very seriously if a pastor in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod were in any form whatsoever teaching that particular version, Gerhardt's version of, he wouldn't even call it an atonement. It's just a big object lesson. Jesus dies to show us that God already forgives us. I don't know how it works out in its details, but that's essentially the teaching. So yes, we would take that very seriously. If a pastor continued to teach and hold to that, he could, by his congregation, be removed from his place there. And he could, by his district president, also be removed through due process from the pastoral office entirely, if he persisted in that. There are things where Scripture does not clearly say something, and then we're free, in good faith, to disagree But where there is a thus saith the Lord and on the atonement, or as you mentioned, on creation, there is a such clear thus saith the Lord that no one can in good faith deny these things. Those are not only, we could call them defrockable teachings, if the pastor continues in that teaching and refuses to repent. There are reasons for breaking unity. So we take doctrine that seriously. It's not a grab bag. We have a very sophisticated, although somewhat Byzantine system of dealing with doctrinal differences. You are allowed to dissent, but this dissent can't go on forever. There has to be a process in place. And the the gatekeepers of that process are largely our district presidents. And some do a better job than others in kind of overseeing, which is what they're supposed to be doing, overseeing the teaching and the work of their pastors and congregations. Some do a better job, some don't. Did I answer that sufficiently? That was great. I thought it was a a nice,
0: succinct response. I think the key, too, is to first acknowledge we do have doctrinal differences in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Don't fall for the, oh, we all agree on doctrine, but we have differences in practice. Don't fall for
1: that. Or or the the canard for so many years was we all agree in doctrine. We just differ, differ in how you apply the doctrine, which to me is just sophistry. So, yes, we take it very seriously. And here's the reason we take it so seriously. It's because we talk about the teachings of Scripture not as individual kind of files in a filing cabinet that you can pick out. They're all related to one another, and they're all unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you start tinkering with things, either directly connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ, like Ferdi's alternate view of the atonement, when you start tinkering with things, the gospel goes away. Or they are more indirectly related, like creation. When you start tinkering with, say, a six-day creation, you have to begin asking questions like, well, if the creation account isn't literal, what about the third chapter of Genesis? the fall into sin. Is that actually what happened the way it says it on the page? And pretty soon you're going to be denying the fall in some form or another, or are you going to come up with a different explanation for the fall? And so you, again, it, it's less than six degrees of separation from the gospel. You know, they, they played that game six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, the actor. And it's, it's, theorized that any person and there are people out there on the internet who have become masters of connecting themselves to various other celebrities or to celebrities they can find themselves in pictures and they and they do this and so someone has theorized that every person on the planet is is separated from kevin bacon by only six degrees six steps it's fascinating but in when you do theology there There are less than six degrees of separation between any given clear teaching of Scripture and the central teaching of Scripture, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, I like to talk about the doctrine and practice
0: of closed communion, the doctrine and practice of worship, the doctrine and practice of service of women in the church, because our opponents will say, ah, closed communion. Oh, we all agree on closed communion, but Pastoral discretion. Each individual pastor needs to decide in
1: his own heart and conscience how to practice this. And that's usually said by somebody who doesn't practice closed communion at all. They may give it lip service, but they don't practice it at all. So it's, again, it's, it's sophistry. It's a, it's a very thinly veiled way of just saying you can't hold me to account because I've got this perfect trump card I can always play that we only differ in practice. And then you can slide anything. It's a loophole you can get you can manage to, to fit around any situation you want to fit
0: it around. Before I read this next email, what is bariatric surgery? Well, I'm not a
1: doctor and I'm sure that Lynn will be able to correct us because I know that she's monitoring the broadcast, but I believe it to be surgery to constrict part of the stomach. Because someone is having weight issues. So, you know, Al Roker, your guy, yeah, your weatherman, your personal weatherman. Let me tell you about Al. Ever since he had that surgery,
0: Al's no fun. Al was jovial. That's, that's because he couldn't eat anymore. Al Al is trying to be fun and jovial while he has to get a comment about climate change and every fifth weather forecast.
1: I I miss I miss old Al. That's that's why I watch the uh, just the local news. Wise move. You know they don't have time in the local news to comment on climate change every time in every single story. If you want that, just go go to national public radio, and you will find a tie into climate change and abortion rights in every. They could be talking about comfort dogs, and they will still find a way of tying it into climate change and abortion rights. And Donald Trump. Oh, yes. Well, that's gonna, that goes without saying.
0: All right. Linda in Michigan. Hello, Issues Etc. This year at Thanksgiving, we had a guest who had bariatric surgery earlier this year. Although she has lost 100 pounds, she also had to watch everyone else enjoy a feast while she had to limit herself to a few tablespoons of food. It made me consider for the first time the social and perhaps even spiritual consequences of such a radical surgery. There is so much in the Bible about eating and how it is something that God gives us to enjoy, but like anything else, also can be abused. Eating the body and blood of Christ in the sacrament is core to salvation and our faith. How might God respond to someone's decision to have an elective surgery, perhaps for health benefits, perhaps mostly for cosmetic reasons, that permanently restricts them from the joy and fellowship of eating? How might believers counsel a friend or family member considering having bariatric surgery? I don't know if this is something worth addressing or discussing on issues, et cetera, but I thought that I at least pass
1: along the thought. Thanks for considering. And thank you for listening in Michigan, Linda. Okay. So, and I still, I stand to be corrected if I've mischaracterized the nature of the surgery. And I just occurred to me that Lynn is out doing errands. And when she returns, she monitors at all times. She will text me and tell me if I was right or wrong. But first of all, I know of at least one individual who's had this surgery and it saved his life. I think he probably wouldn't be alive today had he not because he probably would have had a stroke or a heart attack. And he is physically, and this was not done for cosmetic reasons, although the change has been remarkable, it was done as a kind of a last-ditch effort to get his weight down. And in terms of the way, achieving that goal, successful. Now, everybody who goes into that, whether you're Al Roker or whoever, they know the consequences, they're they're fully informed about the consequences of something like this, that it's lifelong, that it is not reversible as far as I can tell, and that it will change your eating habits permanently. And that might be what is necessary. So, first of all, let's not say it's almost always for cosmetic reasons. There are times when something like this can s- certainly be abused. The If you stop and think about What industry is profiting the most right now from all of the elective surgeries that are taking place out there? What industry is profiting the most when, say, people are having transition surgery? Because it's just cosmetic surgery. That's all it is. It's not like gastrointestinal surgery or heart surgery. It's cosmetic surgery. That's all it is. Right, exactly. It's all the plastic surgeons out there. And they're cleaning up and they're happy to do it. They're happy to do it regardless of the consequences. So, but we're talking here about something that's usually done in order to save somebody's life. So could it change your eating habits? Yes. Would it restrict you from receiving the Lord's supper? Absolutely not. Would it rob you of the joy of eating? I don't know. I'd have to ask someone who's done that. I know that the person that I'm thinking of is glad he did it. And he's more than happy to have the other consequences of this surgery in order to live a few more years with his kids and his wife. So, But we should probably get a guest, not Pastor Whedon, a guest, maybe David Peterson, to come on and talk about eating in the Bible, because you're quite right. Our very salvation is tied up in the eating and drinking of Christ's body and blood in the sacrament of the altar. And eating is no small thing in the Bible, even in the metaphorical sense, as well as in the literal sense of taking into our mouths the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So that's a great idea. Jeff has already written it down. And hopefully in the future, we will have an excellent guest to discuss it, eating in the Bible. Good idea. Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040,
2: or issuesetc.org. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Risen Savior Lutheran Church, Baser, Kansas. Located just right outside the northwest corner of the metro Kansas City area. We have a growing congregation of people who come from over 13 different communities to see what God is doing here, who desire to only believe, teach, confess, and practice as the church always has risen savior baser kansas check out our website risen
0: our christian faith is under constant attack and we must be proactive
2: in keeping our children in the church at faith lutheran school in plano texas we believe that an education rooted in god's word is one that stands against the very gates of hell
0: nothing in this world is more important Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org. flsplano.org.
2: If I ever write this letter
1: All the pages I could write LCMS Life Ministry recently began phase three of its million-dollar match. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod is offering $1 million in matching grants to support pro-life efforts in LCMS congregations. Learn more at lcms.org slash life, lcms.org slash life. We're going through listener email and the issues, etc. Comment line. Regarding our first topic about
0: doctrinal differences in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we just got an email from Jim. He says, where does the Commission on Theology and Church Relations come in regarding its position within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod?
1: Well, because it is a commission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, it can hear questions and render opinions, and they are not doctrinally binding on the pastors or the congregations of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, unless the... Convention of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, that is representatives of all the congregations that meet every three years, decide to adopt the statements from the Commission on Theology and Church Relations as an official doctrinal position. Now, they're supposed to reflect the doctrine of the church, and by and large, they have. This commission's been around for decades. It's the only surviving commission in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. All other commissions were decommissioned at the great restructuring of 2010, is that correct? Yeah, 12 years ago. So it's the only surviving commission. Jeff served on this commission for six years? 2010 to 2016? Yeah, you were elected to the CTCR, as they call it. The problem with that commission it's, is manifold. One, for many decades, it would get a question and wouldn't render an answer for sometimes 10 years later. It just worked too slow and and on questions that really weren't were no brainers. The other thing is that it also has a tendency to kind of chew the fat a little too much. It does very diligent work, but it has a tendency to chew the fat a little bit too much on things that really do we need to go over this question one more time? Why can we not just say this is settled doctrine just because people are asking doesn't mean we always have to restudy the question as though generations of Christians before us haven't already thought about these ideas. And I think under Chairman
0: Dr. Larry Rass' leadership, the CTCR has done a really good job.
1: And it helps to have solid people there. For many years, it was kind of a hodgepodge, and it's made up of seminary professors and like Jeff, like lay people and who else? Uh, the, I think the president sits ex officio in, in on that commission as he used to sit, I think, ex officio on every commission. It has a staff But when you have theological questions that need to be answered, they need to be answered in a timely fashion. But Jeff's seen the process from the inside out, and there's a lot of reading of documents and study documents and going back and forth, very deliberative process. And so I think that's what slows it down.
0: This comes from Peter Everett, Washington. I suspect the LDS, as the Mormon Church, endorsed the so-called Respect for Marriage Act because there are provisions in there that would make it easier for polygamy to become legal. From what I've read, and I could be mistaken, if the bill passes and one state legalizes polygamy, then it would become legal in every state. If that's truly the case, that could be good motivation for the LDS church to endorse the bill. Once it's legal, there will be a new revelation from God, and the church will support polygamy again. Thanks for listening in Everett, Washington, Peter.
1: We talked to Bill McKeever of Mormonism Research Ministry right after the LDS church decided to endorse the Respect for Marriage Act. And he was mystified because for two reasons. One, he, he couldn't see theologically how that would possibly play into their, the technical term is their soteriology, their their system of salvation, which, which re- virtually requires male-female marriage in order to, in order to work. So he couldn't understand it in that respect. He also couldn't understand it because he said there is no big move that he knew of. And he watches this very closely to get back to where Mormons were polygamous. The Mormon leadership considers that to be a PR poison pill. Now, who knows? In the secret halls of power in the Mormon church, they may secretly want to be polygamous again. That may be true. But the the ancillary point is is correct here. And that is that the way that the Respect for Marriage Act is written, it's basically a full faith and credit clause of the U.S. Constitution Act where it says, and I've been saying this for 25 years. When they first started talking about same-sex marriage and same-sex unions, I said someone's going to pull out an argument that says the full faith and credit clause of the U.S. Constitution says that a contract in one state is honored in another state and if you treat marriage as a contract, whatever is legal in Massachusetts, remember where this began, will of necessity need to be recognized in every state, maybe not practiced, but recognized legally. And lo and behold, the Respect for Marriage Act just did that or is likely to just do that. And I think you're quite right that if one state decides to say legalize polygamy or polyamory, then The other states, the question is going to be, aren't the other states now bound to recognize that as a legitimate legal marriage? We talked with Roger Severino, I asked him the question about polygamy and polyamory, and he said, there's really nothing in the act itself that would prevent these things from being recognized if someone decides to challenge it.
0: Yeah, this is Landon calling from Houston, Texas, and I want to thank you guys for having the Terry Mattingly segment every week. I love his take on things as a journalist. He's able to unpack religious perspectives as good or better than most others that I've heard. It's one of my favorite segments that you guys do. Please continue to have him as I enjoy it and am blessed from it every single week. Thank you guys. Keep up the good work.
1: Well, we'll have to put that comment in an email and just shoot that off to Terry. It'll warm the cockles of his heart to have to ha- have some love from the listeners occasionally. A
0: little advent joy from Landon.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: And speaking of that, Craig and I were talking about how the issues that set our comment line has been fairly silent.
1: It's been really slow.
0: Yes. Jeff, the last oh, couple of months.
1: Jeff tells me every week, hey, be sure you check that comment line. And and I, I go to it every week anticipating a plethora of new comments, and it's been quite slow. 618, Craig is
0: disappointed. Six one eight two two three eighty three eighty two. Don't disappoint Craig. Six one eight two two three eighty three eighty two is the number twenty four seven. You can criticize us. You can
1: show suggestion. Show suggestion. Ask a question. Ask a question. Didn't get asked by Wilkin, or answer a question that was asked by Wilkin. You uh, you can. Agree, disagree, all those things all go into the comment line. And as
0: I've said uh, numerous times, and maybe it needs to be restated, if you really want it addressed, you've got a lot better chance. You have a lot better opportunity if you call the issues, et cetera, comment line than sending an email where one Jeff Schwartz has to read it on the show.
1: You don't want that. You don't want that. No, we don't want Jeff doing that at all. When we come back, more listener email and the issues, et cetera, comment line. The email address is talkback at And as Jeff said, the comment line is 618
2: 223
0: 8382. 618 223 8382.
1: I'm going to sit right down and write myself a letter and make Thank you for almost six and a half million downloads so far this year. Please help us reach more listeners in 2023 by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective.
2: We love our on-demand listeners. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the
0: world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Logia Journal, the Confessional Dogmatic Series. The works of Kurt Markhort and many other resources are all brought to you by Luther Academy. Did you know that during this time of COVID-19, your purchases and donations help Luther Academy supply these same resources to pastors around the world? Please consider helping us with this important need through your prayers and financial support. Learn how you can help by visiting lutheracademy.com,
2: lutheracademy.com.
0: I'm assuming you got my message.
1: Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email, the Issues Etc. comment line. After a few minutes, Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, will join us. We'll be discussing decision theology. Let's go
0: to Jamestown, North Carolina, where Jason writes, For what it's worth, George Washington was a Mason. That means his God was called Great Grand Architect of the Universe, sometimes abbreviated as G A O T U, a name Freemasonry uses to identify its supreme being. Other secretive names for God in various rituals are Mahabon and Jabul On. An. 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 Please forgive me if I mispronounce these false names for God. As a family member tells me, who is a Mason, you can have Jesus as your God but other members can have another God. But to be a member, you must believe in the God. I'm sure George Washington thought of himself as a Christian. This document sets the record straight and makes it clear you can't be both a Mason and a Christian. And Jason actually links to a Commission on Theology and Church Relations excellent document on The Lodge. You know what
1: I bet who may have been a contributor to that document? The late Dr. Alvin Schmidt, who it was truly an expert on secret... Soci- Secret Societies, Organizations, and Lodges. He wrote kind of an encyclopedia on that thing, didn't he? Yeah.
0: Yes. He Well, he wrote the Dictionary cults, Sex, the Occult for Zondervan, and then he wrote Zondervan's, like, different groups, and they had those pa- those pamphlets or those, or those
1: booklets, and he wrote the one on the Masonic Lodge. So, And I think we've probably done a number of shows with him. Now, you know— <laughs> Again, I'm no expert on George Washington. I do vaguely remember that he was a Mason. And there are people who, through what we would call felicitous inconsistency, somehow managed to be members of a lodge without imbibing of all the false teachings that are there. But it's a very difficult thing, very, very difficult thing to do.
0: Let's read two emails from Lori. She emailed a couple weeks ago. We didn't get to it on the show. Lori says, what are your thoughts on the TV series The Chosen? Is there a danger in creating any kind of show, book, work where we add to the Bible? Do you have any reviews on it? To which I responded, we interviewed Pastor Ted Geese about the TV series The Chosen. And then she said, hi again, and thanks so much for the link. I just listened and found it a really great discussion answering some of my questions and concerns. I'd love to hear another review after season two now and as season three begins. Thanks so
1: much for responding to my email, concludes Lori. I wasn't aware that it had gone into three seasons because we did that review back in in July or July of 2020 with Pastor Ted Geese on this. It must have been the first season of The Chosen. There's always a, there's always a danger when you take the Bible from its format, which is the written Word of God. The These are the very words of God here that are before us on the pages of Holy Scripture and put it into a different format. So let's put it into the format of film. Then you're no longer dealing with the very Word of God. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but everything that is introduced for the pace of the plot or for a smooth transition from one scene to another. Let's say even you did something like Mel Gibson did in the passion of the Christ. He said, I'm going to make a movie as close to the passion accounts as I can. He even had the thing filmed in Latin and Aramaic. So the actors, the Roman soldiers were speaking Latin and the, and the whole thing was subtitled. He managed to pull this off very well. It was a remarkable and compelling film. But there were still things that he introduced. And so we always need to distinguish between those things as, this is the word of God, this is what actually had, and we don't want to add to that. And then say, okay, there can be some artistic license when we're trying to convey those stories. But to me, it's always, I don't know what how to say it. It's always like, it's like one step removed from the thing. So let's make a TV series about the life of Jesus. And even if we follow it down to the very letter, it's always one step removed from the real living word of God. Kind of like shaking hands with uh, surgical gloves on you. There's no real contact there. You you know, there's a hand there and it's, it's the shape of the hand, but you're not really actually having any contact with with the other person. So it's always once removed. And to me, it just, the word of God is intended to be preached. In fact, we just talked to David Peterson about this yesterday, and I probably should have asked a question about this. You know, why can't we just substitute a film about Jesus? It's intended to be preached and everything else we do with it, while maybe not in and of itself wrong or misguided, is not what God intended for us to do with that word. It's intended to be preached and to be read and to be studied. And, Lori,
0: it just so happens that I spoke with Pastor Ted Geese today. He is watching, continues to watch the Chosen TV series. What he would like to do after the next season is over is solicit questions and comments from our listeners and then have Pastor Geese and Pastor Wilkin respond. All right. That sounds like a great idea. Lots of positive feedback on our interview with Batya Unger-Sargon on woke journalism. Here's a few. Rich writes, thank you for your recent conversation with Dr. Bhatia Unger-Sargon. What an articulate and interesting guest. I must admit that I was expecting something quite different when Todd introduced her as the deputy opinion editor for Newsweek. But I appreciated the journalistic insights around the motivations and incentives of leftist media and its journalists. Very helpful discussion. Susan said, finish this interview today. It was excellent. I have heard her before on the Hill. I could hear Terry Mattingly cheering and one more from Jeremy and Lee's Summit, Missouri. Todd and Jeff, the interview with Batia Unger-Sargon on woke journalism was very good. It was a great history lesson on journalism and the many missteps that have occurred in that profession over the last decade or two. Thank you for having her on and for covering an important topic. It is good for Christians to be informed, but it is hard to discern which information is reliable. Sometimes it is easy to discern that. Anyway, it was an enjoyable listen, and I appreciated the conversation. Blessed Advent and Christmas to you, concludes Jeremy in Lee's Summit,
1: Missouri. It escapes my memory. Did we interview her because she'd written a book? I believe she had written a book, if I'm not mistaken. Both Jeff and I were a little bit mystified. What's happening at Newsweek? Because they seem to have some very solid, kind of self-reflective journalists at work there. And for those of you who haven't heard it, I strongly encourage you to go listen to that, the original or the encore that we recently posted. And she is... Her thesis, I think, once you hear it, you think, oh, that makes sense of so much of what I see in the media. Her thesis is that journalism was at one time a trade. It was, a, she says, a blue-collar trade or a craft that was not the jobs of Ivy League-educated elites or people with political science degrees, but your ordinary kind of everyday guy who could put a sentence together. And with the advent of Modern media, journalism has increasingly become a white-collar and far more elite kind of a profession where if you go to the average newsroom of a major newspaper, you're going to find people with degrees from maybe five or six big, largely liberal universities. A lot of them Ivy League, but not all of them. And you're going to find out that their views are largely shaped by that, that they occupy kind of the higher echelons of society and that's how they think. And once you hear this thesis that it went from blue-collar trade to now Ivy League-educated elite profession, you completely understand why the media has changed so much in the last 50 years or so. But I don't think it's even 50 years. You were in school 35 going on 40 years ago at one of the biggest J schools in the United States. I and I, graduated, yeah. I just had my
0: 40th class reunion for high school. So it must have been 36 years ago I graduated.
1: But a lot has changed then. I mean, I've heard you talk to guests off the air and say, you know, when I was in J school, I did not know my professor's political persuasion. He did not share that with us. We didn't get political commentary in the classroom. They were teaching us a craft, a trade, and how to do it well the mechanics and the approach to good journalism.
0: The only, what you might call political commentary, was an absolutist view on the First Amendment. They all shared that.
1: They knew what was at stake. And by that you mean freedom of the press, freedom of speech. Correct. So, and would you say absolutist view, what do you mean? Because, you know, Elon Musk calls himself a free speech absolutist. He has to run a company now where you can't be absolutely free speech. He does have certain safeguards. But what what did they mean by... Well, they would not support what we call nowadays hate speech legislation.
0: They wouldn't support that stuff. It's speech. It's speech. Now, there's speech where, as the Supreme Court will, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. But they knew how important... The fact that it was the First Amendment. Now, they didn't talk too much about freedom of religion or the free exercise of religion. I'll grant them that. But they, when it came to freedom of the press, freedom of speech, they knew what was at stake for both the profession but the country at large.
1: Now, that that is not the communist. What you ought to do is you ought to go take a trip out to uh, Jefferson City and just go and say, hey, can I sit in on one of the Columbia, Missouri. It's in Columbia. It's in Columbia. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Jefferson's Jefferson Jefferson South. Go out there to Columbia. Say, can I sit in on a journalism class? i Just sit the back and, listen, no, and I'd, just listen. I'd, I'd probably audit with- online
0: courses. That's true. And I, I you know, I it's, who's the old man? You know, I, I, I put on the like, Zoom thing like you raise your hand. Who's that old man? <laughs> who's that old archaic guy? I was like, oh, I'm Jeff Schwartz. I graduated from this prestigious number one journalism school in the country, cum laude. Before your parents were born. 1986. <laughs> you know what the response would be? What's okay, that? boomer. Okay,
1: boomer. That'd be, yeah, that'd be the response. I think so. When we come back from this break, we're going to spend some time with Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We're going to discuss decision theology. He's got a little story to tell about his foray in high school and college into that theology.
0: need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Someplace where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we move farther along in St. Luke with Jesus Heals the Demoniac, Healing and Preaching, Calling of Four Disciples, Jesus Cleanses a Leper, and Which is Easier to Say. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study
2: on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or on your favorite podcast provider.
1: Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations.
2: Lutheranism in the public square. You're listening to Issues Etc.
1: Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com
2: now. Do you want your neighbors and community to see what you're celebrating this Christmas season? Why not display an outdoor nativity in front of your home or church? It's a great way to show others what Christmas is all about, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Check out the Outdoor Nativity Store at OutdoorNativityStore.com. Durable, affordable, and American-made nativities, OutdoorNativityStore.com, OutdoorNativityStore.com.